The birth of Christ should testify to us of the love of God. He loved us enough to come to this earth and be made a man, and then to die for us on a cruel cross that we might be set free. The cross of Calvary is the greatest testimony of God's love. But God has demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hi, and welcome to Christmas at Pure Life Ministries. On today's podcast, we just want to celebrate Christmas with you. With the exception of this sentence, you won't hear much about sexual sin. We want to tell you the story of Christ's birth from the scriptures, share a devotion from John's Gospel, and members of our staff will share their testimonies of what Christ Jesus means to them. Today, we just want to encourage you in the faith. I'm your host, Jim Lewis. This is the Christmas episode of Purity for Life. In the former time, God brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. But as for you, Bethlehem, Eparath, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. When I think of Jesus, I, uh, I go to John 3.16 and I say, for Jesus so mercied the world by his death, and that's what he's shown me. His mercy is just without extent. He keeps it and he gives it and he has shown me that taking me out of a life of depravity and sin and really abusing people 
uh, in my sin. Uh, he has shown me the forgiveness and the understanding of what love means for the very first time, um, that I can give it out to others, that I don't have to take from people, that I can give, and he's just everything I can think of. Jesus means everything to me. He is the one that I can call on. He's the one that I can cry out to when I can't make it. He's the one that I can praise. He's the one that I can ask to come in when things are harder, when things are difficult. And he can come in and he can change my heart. He can change my mind. He can take me from the thoughts that I've had in the past and the struggles and the desires that I've always had in my heart and in my mind through years of depression and anger and all of that, he can come in and he can change my heart. And in the midst of those times when I'm struggling in the morning or when I'm struggling with anger throughout the day, I can turn to him and just say, Jesus, I need you, please come and live your life through me. And it's possible because of what he did on the cross, he can come in and he can change my heart. And in those moments, it, every time it's happened, I've called on him and He's come in and either wiped my mind clean or changed the way that I saw things and gave me joy where I didn't have joy before and completely set me free of those things. And so I'm just so thankful that Jesus is able to do that and gives me life where I didn't have it. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zecharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, 
My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Well, my testimony is one of the Lord's faithfulness when we just say yes to him. I remember the time when I was here at Pure Life just doing what I was told, wasn't finding the victory that I was looking for. It certainly didn't look like I thought it would look like. And just at the end of my rope, crying out to the Lord, what's wrong? What's what's going on? And just hearing his voice just keep saying yes. And I, I decided in that moment to no matter what things looked like, to just keep saying yes to him. And from that day forward, everything was different. And it was nothing that I did in and of myself. It was just him coming through in my weakness. I mean, there's there's no way I can explain what happened. It's just he came in and he reoriented my sights onto him. And from now on, he's everything to me. What I'm so drawn to about Jesus is his heart of love and forgiveness to me. It's especially beautiful to me because I know really all the terribly evil things I did during my years in sexual sin. And just my lifestyle was totally out of control. I was a crazy man. I could have been killed. God could have just brought disaster on my life or taken everything away. But instead, what I discovered about him is he just wants to draw me near to him, and he wanted to give me the riches of his heart. He loves me so much, and I have seen that in everything that he's been doing in my life since I was willing to finally repent. Now I know that this relationship I have with Jesus is a million times bigger than my sexual sin was, and it's something I want to live for more and more for the rest of my life. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with the child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Who is the Lord to me? The Lord is my savior, the one who has pulled me out of the pit, who has given me much, who I owe all my life to. He is the one who has given me life. He is the one who has saved me from myself. The Lord Jesus has died for me so that I may live and make disciples of him. Without him, I would be in a pit, in death, whatever it is. It's not joyful, not happy in the Lord. That's who he is. He has saved me. He has given me life. He has helped me see the eternal picture. The eternal mindset is what has been planted in me. And I thank him each and every day for waking me up with new mercies and new joy and this new life that he has given me. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby 
as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. Jesus is my shepherd. I am a stubborn and needy sheep, but Jesus, full of compassion, leads me where I should go. Even when I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. And what astounds me most about his leadership is his humility. As long as I am listening and following him, I will always see humility, because he is the only example of perfect humility. Without his example, I would still be stuck in my sin as a result of being stuck on myself. As I have begun to follow Jesus, I have seen that without his humility taking form in my life, I would still be at enmity with God. I would still be far from God, who promises to resist the proud. And the greatest display of this humility is Jesus on the cross. His entire life on earth was a carefully coordinated plan of humiliation after humiliation, which culminated at Calvary. And this is where he leads me whenever I need a fresh sight of his humility. Whenever I need to see him in a fresh way, he shows me the selfless sacrifice he made for me and for all. My favorite verse from scripture is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse four. And it says, even though you are banished to the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you from there and bring you back again. And that's, that's so personal to me because Jesus, his name means salvation. And he personally went and got me. I was as far from the ends of the earth as I could be in my sin. And he came to find me, the good shepherd, just his personal love for me, not just as general, he is love, but he on purpose went after me where I was and found me. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star 
which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Uh, the thing I love about Jesus is that he is my refuge. It's very personal. It's not just some broad thing for everybody. I mean, it is for everybody, but it's very specific. He is my refuge that I can run to at any time. He's the one that I can dwell in for protection from the enemy. And I love that about him. I love that he is my refuge and that I'm no longer having to fend things off on my own. I can run to his refuge and I can dwell in his strong tower that defends me against the attacks of the enemy. I just want to give thanks to Jesus for, for the incredible example that he's given me of how to live a life that isn't stuck in bondage to, to things that kill me. He's, he's given me a way, a path, a new life, and not only has he shown me how to do it, but he's also gone before me in that way, in that path. He shed the blood, shed the tears, he's fought the fight, he's been the example He's not asking me to do anything that he hasn't done. And I think that's the most incredible offering that anyone could give is, here, come, do, do what I've done. And I appreciate him so, so much for that, to show me that way to humility and lowliness and just losing the life that I would make for myself, all my own selfish desires, and to show me how to live a life of service and love toward others and live a life that's been redeemed from curse, from death, from sin, from everything that would kill me. And he's given me life and life more abundantly. Before I actually met Jesus, um, going to church, I, I would hear from the pulpit that he is a savior, a redeemer, a friend, a king, um, those types of things. And just as if someone would be talking about someone that you haven't met before but they're acquainted with and I would think to myself well that's nice uh, about that person and when I actually got saved and the Lord revealed himself to me and I actually came in and, and met him for myself personally I found out that truly he was a savior he he saved me I, I was in sin and darkness and he is the one who convicted me with his Holy Spirit. He's the one who called me out of that life and had the power to call me out of that life. So I found out, wow, this God, this Jesus that everyone's been talking about as a savior is truly a savior. And the same was revealed to me uh, about him as well when it comes to him being a redeemer. The Lord forgave all of my sins and he redeemed me to himself, and I found that out for myself personally. Also, uh, I'd hear people calling Jesus their friend, 
And I never understood that until I actually, again, met him for myself and <laughs> came to realize when I fellowship with him, he truly is a friend. Every time I've needed him the most, Jesus has been there for me and he's delivered me out of myself, out of uh, the sin that I can easily get entangled in. Yeah, I just he's he's always been there for me. And then the last thing, just you know, hearing people talk about Jesus as a king, I found out that that was true as well, that he truly is a king. He rules my life. I surrendered my life to him and he's more than able to rule my life. And I continually trust him every day to be my savior, uh, my redeemer, my friend, and my king. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This marvelous and beautifully poetic passage of Holy Scripture, in its own unique way, tells the Christmas story. True, there is no manger in John's telling. There is no star, no shepherds, no wise men. He does not mention Joseph or Mary. He doesn't even call Jesus by name. But we all know who the passage is about. He is the central character in God's salvation story. He is the focal point, the star, if you will. And so he should be. Jesus is the glorious one and only. And we need to keep him first and foremost, not only in our Christmas celebrations, but in every day of our lives. The Word of God puts forth several truths in this passage today, truths about Jesus, who He is, why He came. These are truths that if we receive them, accept and apply them, will transform us. The truth will change you. I want to use the prepositions over, with, for, in and through to see the person and work of Jesus Christ. These are Christmas truths that transform. First, Christ Jesus is God over us. The first three verses teach us about Christ's supremacy. He is God over us. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. John clearly teaches here the pre-existence of Christ. 
That is, that before there was a virgin mother and child, long before there was a manger in Bethlehem, indeed, long before there was a universe and a planet Earth and a human race, Christ the Word was with God and was God. The construction of the Greek gives this verse even more force. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with God, and God was the Word. Christ Jesus and God the Father are one. The baby Jesus we worship at Christmas is not a mere mortal baby. The picture of Jesus in the manger is a picture of God becoming man. We call it the incarnation. God, who is spirit, putting on human flesh. Before the Christ child came to the manger, he existed in eternity as God. In fact, John tells us that it was through the pre-existent eternal Christ that this universe and everything in it came into existence. He is the creator God. All things came into being by him. The Christ of Christmas is the God of eternity. Colossians 1, 16 to 18, Paul gives us another graphic picture of the supremacy and preeminence of Christ. He is Lord of creation, and more especially, he is Lord over his church. Paul writes, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. There is no doubt what the Bible teaches about Christ, that he existed as God, that by him all things were created, and that he is the head of the church. He is over all things. It is Christ who is supreme. He is God over us. The bottom line for you and me is simple. He is Lord. It is to Christ we owe our allegiance. He is the God before whom every knee should bow. He is the God to whom our worship is due. Second, Christ Jesus is God for us. The Word of God teaches us that Jesus Christ is our advocate. He is God for us. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. For some people, the thought that Jesus is the reigning Lord of the universe, that he is God over us, might be a frightening thing. And indeed, the Bible does teach that Jesus will also be given the task of judging us at the end of time. The judgment has been assigned to Jesus, and it is before the judgment seat of Christ that we will all one day appear. But Jesus is a king 
who loves his subjects. He is the Lord who came to save us. He is not only God over us, he is God for us. We see in Christmas just how much God is for us. In the birth of Jesus, we see God becoming a man. And the whole reason he was made a man was so that he could die for us, that we might have eternal life. Doesn't it say in John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The birth of Christ should testify to us of the love of God. He loved us enough to come to this earth and be made a man, and then to die for us on a cruel cross that we might be set free. The cross of Calvary is the greatest testimony of God's love. But God has demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus revealed his love for us through the greatest act of self-sacrifice a man could perform. He gave his very life for us. What more could God do to prove he was for us? Jesus left a heavenly throne to endure the death on a cross. He gave up his eternal glory to be born in a stable, to live life as a man, and then he gave that life to set us free. He is God for us. Third, Christ Jesus is God with us. This third truth is about the incredible humility of Jesus. Christ Jesus is God with us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 tells us that Christmas is all about the eternal word, equal in every way with God and God himself, putting on human flesh. Jesus became one of us to live as one of us. He did it, as foreshadowed in Isaiah, by being born supernaturally through the borrowed womb of a virgin girl. Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. God has come to be one of us. Christ has identified with us. This is what the babe in the manger is all about. One of my favorite Christmas illustrations is an explanation of why Jesus came. I'm sure many of you have heard it, 
but I share it for those who haven't because it explains the incarnation of Jesus so well. The story is told of a man who wanted to believe in Christmas but couldn't. It made no sense to him. His heart was untouched by the story of the babe born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. He was home one bitter cold December day when he heard a strange noise at his picture window. The sudden chill had threatened some small birds who saw the warmth and the light of his fire, and they were hopping about his windowsill, and some were flying right into the glass trying to get where it was warm. His heart was touched by their plight. The snow covering the ground was frozen solid. No food. The bitter chill would surely kill them. He went into the yard and tried to shoo them into his barn. His waving only frightened and scattered them. He tried to lure them into the warm barn with crumbs. They ate some but didn't follow. He soon ran out of ideas. How could he help these pitiful creatures from sure and agonizing death? He thought, if I could only speak their language, if I could only for a brief time become a bird and show them that I mean them no harm, that I only want to help them and to care for them, if I could become like them, then I could save them. At that moment, the bells from a nearby church began to ring out a Christmas carol, and he knew. Suddenly, Christmas made sense. That is why Jesus came, to be one of us, to speak our language, to show us God's love, and to save us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That's the message of Christmas. And finally, Christ Jesus is God in and through us. There is the truth of Christ's indwelling. He is God in us, and he is God living and working through us. He was in the world, John said, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This God who is over us, for us, and with us came to live in us and through us. We see Christ's potentiality, that he is God in and through us. Major Ian Thomas, founder of the Torchbearers of Cape and Ray, England, used to say in his British accent and characteristic zeal, the purpose of the atoning death of Jesus Christ, the goal of the gospel, is not to get any man, any woman, any boy, or any girl out of hell and into heaven. The goal of the gospel is to get God out of heaven and into you. The indwelling Christ, Jesus on the inside, living in your heart and restoring your inner nature from the inside out. And he used to use three illustrations. 
An oil lamp is created functionally to give light. It has a reservoir wherein one puts oil. It takes oil in the lamp to make the lamp behave like a lamp. Oil makes the lamp do what it was designed and created to do. Without oil in the lamp, it's still a lamp, but good for nothing, except to be used as a doorstop or a paperweight. Oil in the lamp makes the lamp behave like a lamp. Gas in the car, same thing. Without gas in the tank, it's still a car, but not much of one. If you forget to gas up and you run out, which many of you have done, the car stops behaving like a car, and you're stuck. It was designed and created to function fully like a car only when there is gas in the tank. And so God created you uniquely among all creation to be the physical, visible image of the invisible God. He said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness so that when the rest of creation looks at mankind, when they look at you, they will know what God is like. That's your function. That's why you were created. But man sinned lost his way, forfeited the inner Holy Spirit that completes him and makes him different from the animal kingdom and makes him fully human. So Jesus came. His death purchased our forgiveness. His atoning sacrifice cleared the way for us to receive him. When a man surrenders in faith to the Lord Jesus, accepts his death, receives him as Lord, then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, returns to restore us to our true, fully human nature. Now, it takes oil in the lamp to make the lamp behave like a lamp, like it was created to function. It takes gas in the car, and it takes God in you to restore you to relationship, give you abundant life, and make you fit for heaven. Oil in the lamp, gas in the car, God in the man, in the woman, in the boy and girl. That's the gospel, and that's why Christ came, to get God out of heaven and into you. Listen, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. We have the privilege of having the Son of God live his life in us and through us. Martin Luther's favorite analogy was that of an iron poker placed in the fire. You put the iron in the fire, and as it abides in the fire, soon the fire abides in the iron. The metal begins to glow hot and red, and the fire exists within the metal. Fire and metal together become one. As we place our faith in Christ, as we receive him, we become children of God. His spirit indwells us. He becomes the fire within us. 
he gives us our lives. He restores us to God. He saves us from evil, and he saves us into glory. He is God in us. All of this is Jesus Christ. He is God over us. He is God for us. He is God with us. And he is God in and through us. Jesus has always been to me uh, a redeemer, a savior, and indeed he is, and I'm thankful for Jesus, for the redemption that he provides, the forgiveness. As the son of God, and but as the son of man, he seems to be more approachable, more on a brotherly, a friendly basis, a human counterpart basis, and I love that about Jesus. He makes himself available to the human being and to me. He is the omnipotent God, but he's also the son of man. To know that by obedience, I can be a friend of God in Christ. Jesus as Lord, but also as my friend. It's a wonderful thing and I thank God and he has brought himself to be our friend. Jesus, to me, has been freedom from a sin-filled mind that does not want to obey him and doesn't know how to obey him, and to one that knows how to obey God and obey the Lord Jesus, bringing me from mental torment into peace in my soul, and knowing how to walk with God, and it's learning to obey the Lord Jesus. I'm just very grateful for uh, patience and the long-suffering of the Lord. He brought me to himself and I struggled and failed, and then I did have a short period of some victory, and then backsliding again, and just his patience through all of that just keep drawing me, keep going after me, even when I walked away from him for a period of time. And so I just wanted to read a couple of scriptures. Psalm 86:15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. And then Romans 2:4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And just thinking of how his goodness and kindness, but in his patience, he He's just so good and kind to keep bringing me back. He's so long-suffering and waiting on me to repent and come back to him. So I'm just very grateful this season for his patience, his long-suffering. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. A.W. Tozer writes, I confess that I am struck with the wonder and the significance of the limitless meaning of these two words, He came. Within them, the whole scope of divine mercy and redeeming love is outlined. All of the mercy God is capable of showing, all of the redeeming grace that He could pour from His heart, all of the love and pity that God is capable of feeling, 
All of these are at least suggested here in the message that he came. There are times when the use of the superlative is absolutely necessary and you cannot escape it. The coming of Jesus Christ into this world represents a truth more profound than all of philosophy. For all of the great thinkers of the world together could never produce anything that could even remotely approach the wonder and the profundity disclosed in the message of these words. He came. Have a blessed and joyous Christmas celebration. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.